This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> And welcome to Body Count, your home for all things creepy, crawly, ghouly, gory, or anything else that goes bump in the night. I am Trent Scott, and he is Graham Ashley. Yo, what's going on, friend? And everybody, welcome back to Body Count. Man, Trent, I'm really excited to review this film. This might be my favorite movie that we have watched so far on Body Count. Wow. Coming out with uh, guns blazing. I like it. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't see our uh, Instagram posts, this week's episode is Insidious from 2010. I can't believe it's been 11 well, years since this came out. sort of 2010. It was released in the film festival circuit in 2010. However, it had its proper domestic theatrical release in April of 2011, which would make this the 10-year anniversary, which just so happens to be the reason we're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hadn't seen this movie before. And I had heard good things about it, and you suggested it. You kind of led me to picking this movie. Suggested is uh, is one way of <laughs> phrasing what happened. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, go back and listen to the end of the last episode where Graham picked one movie, and I politely, like a, like a horse to water, guided him to where I wanted him to go. Yeah, and I'm happy that you did, man, because... Um, this was really cool. This was really fun. We're <laughs> going to talk a lot about it. I was super scared. Might be the scariest movie we've reviewed also, and I'll talk about that. Um, also, I got my wife, Stephanie, to watch this, and if you guys haven't heard, she is not the greatest fan of horror films. She gets very scared, very shaken, very unnerved, and uh, we might have a little special clip of her watching the movie in the podcast. Maybe just a little little clip of how Stephanie was reacting towards the just chaos that was the ending of this film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, so Trent, let's jump right in. Let's hear your one-sentence synopsis for Insidious. Insidious is a tale of why you don't tell your kids to always dream big. <laughs> yes. Good uh, things don't always come out of big dreams, folks. That's true. Uh, you don't want to end up in the further trend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dalton could have dreamed a little less big and none of this craziness would have happened. Also, you know, why scary dreams? Why can't they be pleasant dreams? <laughs> <laughs> well, with that in mind, Graham, would you, uh, would you like to jump into the movie proper? Yes, let's dive right in, man. I can't wait to talk about it. All right, so the movie opens... And we kind of get like a, uh, a panning shot. We see a little boy asleep in his bed. We kind of glide our way through the house. And then we see the face of an old evil looking woman. We got some crazy, creepy violin music going. And opening credits roll. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the score a little bit later and how um, that affected the film. But yeah, I'm just creeped out right from the beginning, dude. Weird old lady holding a candle. I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> We're like 12 seconds in and you're already on your toes. 
Yeah, and the opening credits themselves, man, are like super creepy too. Like we get these these like shots around the house, and in some of them you see shadows and figures, and other ones you're looking for them. Um, yeah, I'm like immediately, immediately just dialed into this. So after opening credits, we see Renee, played by Rose Byrne, asleep in bed with her husband Josh, played by Patrick Wilson. And Renee, she wakes up, she goes to the living room, she pulls out a photo album, she's flipping through some old photos of herself as a kid, and her oldest son, Dalton, uh, comes and they start flipping through the photos, they're having a good time, she asks, well, how old do you think uh, mommy is? And he says, 21! She says, I wish! <laughs> yeah, they're having a cute little moment. Um, obviously, they just moved into this house, you know, she's still in packing boxes, uh, like you said. Um, it seems all as well in uh, this little family. So next up, we see it's breakfast time, uh, and we get to meet the rest of the family. Uh, we already talked about Josh, the dad, but there's two other children. There's Foster, the middle son, and Callie, the baby girl. So immediately, so I said I'd watch this with my wife, and so you know, there's a little bit of chaos at breakfast. She can't find the bowl for the kid. The baby's crying. Josh kind of strolls down, kisses her goodbye for work, and she's like, he's not going to help. Like, he's just, he's just, hey, goodbye. Oh, if she didn't think he was helping here, I imagine she had some thoughts later on. Yeah, anyway, just some funny um, little commentary about, um, I guess, a, a woman's, a wife's perspective on his lack of a, of helping out with uh, the morning duties with the, with the kids and stuff. But um, And he also tries yeah. to eat a wax apple. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, he's kind of uh, kind of in his own little world, and he's kind of clueless, just kind of does his thing. So, uh, so from there, Josh and the boys go off to school. Josh is a teacher, I should say. And so Renee is at home with the baby. She's playing the piano, and all of a sudden she hears Callie crying. And she goes and checks on her. Everything's okay. And then she hears a sound. She tries to locate it. She, she can't discover what it is. She makes her way up to the attic. There's nothing there except for the furnace. It, they always go into the attic, Trent. Why go into the attic? Um, it's creepy in there. <laughs> but Did yeah, she not I'm watch like, Home Alone? Exactly. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're kind of like, okay, is something going to happen? Nothing ends up happening. Just a little furnace flare up and nothing out of the ordinary. So then uh, we cut to uh, later on, and this time uh, Dalton the oldest boy is the one who finds his way into the attic and he falls off a ladder. Uh, he starts screaming. The parents come check on him. He kind of scraped up his leg, bumped his head, but he seems generally okay. Yeah. So why not just put him to bed? He just has a little bump on the head. Nothing bad can happen. Well, the problem is when Josh goes to wake Dalton up the next morning, Dalton won't wake. And we immediately cut to a doctor saying, well, there's no brain damage, but he's in a coma. And then from there, we immediately see a title card that says three months later. So we have literally in like 60 seconds, given this kid a coma and <laughs> jump forward three months in time. Yeah. Dalton's not doing so well. Um, yeah. Like the doctor said, it's, it's kind of a, he, he can't figure it out. It's a phenomenon. Um, he doesn't know why he's in a coma. It had nothing to do with the, the little bump on his head that you would suspect. Yeah. Um, so they've run a bunch of tests. They can't find anything. All of his scans seem to be normal. It's just completely unexplained coma. Don't you hate yeah. it when that happens? <laughs> yeah. 
And I like playing coming. He just can't wake up. Wake that kid up, man. So anyway, so like I said, it's three months later. A nurse sets him up at home, and Renee basically becomes his full-time nurse. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility for her. Um, yeah, I mean, he I, in the three months, we're supposed to assume that they have been able to find nothing, nothing. wrong with him. Um, you would assume they had a ton of specialists. They've run hundreds of tests. But yeah, at this point, they're like, well, we don't. there's nothing else we can do for him. Uh, he's back home. And yeah, he has a nurse check in on him from time to time. And I guess that's just going to be life going forward, right? I guess so. So next we see uh, Renee is sitting at the piano again, and she's got the baby monitor. And all of a sudden she hears some like whispering, like a voice coming through the baby monitor. So rightfully, she freaks out. <laughs> she runs upstairs to check on Callie. And there's no one there. Yeah, so we're getting, um, is the house haunted here, Trent? That's what's going through my mind. Um, obviously, that was scary. Um, the, that voice in that baby monitor gets louder and louder. She turns it up louder. Uh, super freaky. But yeah, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> so that night, Renee is putting, talking Foster into bed. And he tells her that he's afraid of Dalton because... He walks around that night. What's going on, Graham? Dude, WTF, man. Um, and she just was like, okay, um, that's kind of strange. Yeah, totally freaky that little Foster is seeing Dalton walk around at night. Um, could that be true, Trent? What's going on here? Yeah, and then we see a scene where Dal uh, Foster's in bed that night, and his bedroom is directly across the hall from Dalton. <laughs> yeah. Both doors are open, and he we can hear Dalton's like heart monitor or whatever beeping steadily. And Foster is like freaking out. So he slowly makes his way out of bed and he closes the door and he's like, Whew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he rushes back into bed. You can hear some footsteps out there. I don't know. I don't know what's going on at this point, but I know I'm scared. So from there, Renee and Josh are in bed when all of a sudden there's a big banging sound. So Josh thinks somebody's at the front door. He gets up. He looks around. He's got the flashlight. It's late at night and nobody's there. So Renee, meanwhile, has gone to check on Callie. And there's a like a man in Callie's room. So oh. She starts freaking out. Josh runs upstairs and again, finds no one. But then he makes his way back downstairs. And now the front door is standing wide open. Yeah, the alarm's going off. It's it's super jarring. There's a lot of chaos going on. Um, like you said, Josh doesn't see the figure in the room that Renee saw. We all saw it. <laughs> um, so we don't know what's going on other than, you know, it's just, it's just an, an unexplained thing going on. Also, dude, this house is inexplicably dark, okay? Like, holy crap, dark. Get some nightlights or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> So uh, from there, we just... Cut to the next day. No explanation about why the door was standing wide open. And we see Josh at work. Again, he's a school teacher. The bell rings, and we see Josh phone home and say, Ah, honey, I'm sorry. I got I to gotta stay late. I got to grade some tests. So we see maybe Josh doesn't really want to be home right now. And he eventually falls asleep at his desk, and he wakes up, and it's 1030 at night. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, back at the house, Renee 
has discovered a bloody handprint in Josh's, sh- uh, or excuse me, in, uh, in Dalton's sheets. Yeah, did you see the Easter egg on the chalkboard, Trent? I did not. Okay, so um, I was watching it. I had to pause it. I was like, I think I see it. So on the chalkboard in the classroom, um, there's some names written down. You can barely make them out. One of them is James Wan, who is the director of this movie that we'll mm-hmm. talk about. Pretty cool. And then behind Josh is a drawing of the character from Saw. Oh, nice. We should Which mention, also, yeah. uh, we'll talk about it later, but James Wan, uh, director of this movie, was also the director of the original Saw film. Yeah, so a couple little uh, Easter eggs there um, for those of you who are paying attention very closely to that scene. Um, thought it was pretty cool. So after finding this bloody handprint on her son's bed sheets, she waits outside on the front step for Josh to come home that night. She confronts him. They get into a big argument, and she says... Basically, she thinks the house is haunted. He kind of, you know, laughs. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say laughs it off, but he's like, whatever you say. And then she also says, basically, he hasn't been there emotionally, which, <laughs> frankly, he hasn't based on what we've seen. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he's like, I'm just grading tests. Um, but A, Trent, pretty sure you can bring tests home to grade. Yeah, no kidding. And B, I mean, he's got a laptop. Come on, just yeah. read the test from the laptop. So like, he's obviously, um, you know, keeping his distance from home. For whatever and, reason, is it, is it the, the kid that's in a coma? Is this the weird stuff going on? We don't know, but he's just really not doing his job as a husband or father at this point. <laughs> well, the conclusion of, of the argument is her saying, you know, like, you're not, you're not dealing with this traumatic event. And he says, I'm dealing with it my way. And then she gives him the bed sheet and says, deal with this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good job, Renee. So Josh now firmly in the doghouse, is asleep on the couch <laughs> that night. Oh yeah. While Renee is asleep in her bed, she wakes up and she sees a man outside her window Pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She yells, and then all of a sudden, the man is in the room. So then Josh comes running, and once again, nobody's there. Dude, jump scares, man. I told you before, <laughs> jump scares are, are my least favorite, but I kind of love to hate them. Um, yeah. yeah, and again, Josh is just like a step behind seeing all this, and Renee knows she even says to him, like, you don't believe me. You're, you know, and he's like, oh, I believe you. We can tell he kind of doesn't believe her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she wants out of this house. So. So they agree to move. So the next thing we see is they're at a new house. And uh, we meet Josh's mother, Lorraine, who is there helping. And, you know, she basically tells Renee that, you know, she can grieve however she needs to grieve. Lorraine, very supportive. Yeah, uh, much Lorraine better than her. Supportive. Much better than her son. Yeah, like you're like, ah, oh, it's a mother-in-law. She's going to be, you know, mother-in-law-ish. Um, yeah, she's like totally on board. She's like, you can, you know, grieve however you want to grieve. Get through this however you need to get through this. Um, and I'm relieved at this point, Trent, because I'm like, that house was haunted. They moved <laughs> to a new house, and I'm like, but there's a lot of movie left. So, well, roll credits. <laughs> that's all we. That's all we got for today, folks. <laughs> but no. Because now Renee is at home alone. She's unpacking and she's got a record player playing uh, an, an actual vinyl record player. And she goes to take it, take out some trash. And all of a sudden we hear the record skips a couple of times. And all of a sudden the song changes to uh, tiptoe through the tulips. 
And as she's standing outside her house, she sees a young boy dancing to the song. So weird, scary. Um, Yeah. Tiptoe through the tulips has to be on my list of like least favorite songs now because it is. (laughs) It's used so effectively in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be just a great choice there. Um, So Renee's like, oh, this is happening again. Um, She goes inside to investigate. What does she find? Yep. So she. She goes inside and she follows the kid. She sees him at the end of the hallway. Then he runs into Dalton's room. So she goes in there. She thinks she sees some footprints. So she grabs like a hockey stick or something. I'm not quite sure what it was. It's like a, yeah, it's like a field hockey mallet or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so she jabs at what uh, she thinks are this kid's legs. It turns out to just be some shoes. But the kid jumps out of the top of the entertainment center right in front of her. And she breaks down in hysterics. <laughs> yeah, as you would. Um, it's they followed her to this new house, Trent. It wasn't just the old house, and yeah, dude. I mean, just super creepy. Um, Renee, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, Renee? <laughs> what are you gonna do? Well, I'll tell you what we're gonna do because the next thing we see is as Josh is coming home from work, Renee is sitting on the couch talking to a priest. I mean, as you would, right? You got to get this house exercised or however you put it. <laughs> She's ready to, to, to do some exercising. That's for sure. Um, and that's not in the Jane Fonda way. That's in the uh, <laughs> that's in the devil get out of here way. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Ibo or whatever. Um, yeah, Josh comes home to see the, the priest here. He kind of makes a little joke about it. Um, he's still dismissive to her feelings. He's not believing what's going on. Um, he's just... He's thinking Renee's going a little wacko here, right? She hasn't been working. She's supposed to be working on her music. Um, maybe she's got too much time at home. Who knows what he's thinking, but he's not believing her. Until his mother, Lorraine, who happened to be there, interjects and says, everything she's experiencing, it's real. And then she goes on to detail that she had a dream last night, except it wasn't really a dream. You see, she was in the house, and while she knew she was awake, she also, like knew that it was real. And so she made her way to Dalton's room and in the corner, she saw a shadow and it revealed that it was a visitor and she asked what, it, what it wanted. And it said Dalton. Ooh, okay. And at that point, Lorraine sees the face of a demon. Oh. Yeah. Right behind Josh. Um, and so now she's seeing things and these things are becoming more frequent Trent, and closer to people. So, um, yeah, what do you got to do? You got to call in the big guns, right? Right. So anyway, uh, they all take off running down the hall to check on Dalton, and his room is completely destroyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't leave that out. Um, you see a flash of, uh, you know, Dalton's on the floor. Everything's all in chaos there. It's all destroyed. Um, we get a shot in the background of the bed sheets, and there's more of those bloody handprints all over the sheets. Um, yeah, things are, things are going haywire here. So, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, we get to beat Specs and Tucker, who I love. Yes. Specs played, of course, by Lee Wannell, who wrote this movie. Yeah. Um, we'll talk a lot more about Lee, Lee Wannell um, later on. But, um, but yeah, he played Specs. Um, it's pretty cool that he wrote himself in the movie, right? Uh, when you got the power, you got the power. <laughs> so, 
So uh, Specs and Tucker, like we said, they're basically two real-life Ghostbusters. They get all the equipment you've seen on all the reality shows. And uh, <laughs> Tucker uh, is taking some photographs, and he's, like, changing the color of the lens, and he's standing in the hallway. And all of a sudden, on the third photograph, boom, two girls appear. Yes, and this is the clip that I have of Stephanie screaming. Um, it's super, super awesome. But yeah, dude, so like Tucker's under the realization, him and Specs, so, okay, this we've hit it. Uh, it's time to call Elise. Yeah, so who is Elise? Well, Elise shows up, and she's like the expert uh, on all of all of this paranormal stuff. And super she- friendly, too. Super cordial. Um, yes. Not what you're expecting from, I guess, other movies where, you know, the the medium comes in where it's like a creepy lady who's all weird stuff. She's like super bubbly and nice. Yes. So Elise sees Josh and says, I haven't seen you in a very long time. And he's like, what? It's like, Oh, your mom and me are old friends. Yeah. How though? Um, we don't know yet, but um, okay. So it's giving her a little more plausibility. She's not just a cuckoo that it's just trying to, to get money off of people. Right. There's a little bit of background here. That's right. So now, uh, Specs is basically Elise's like. Um, how, how would you describe it? Whatever Eyes and ears, she, maybe. Yeah, whatever she sees, she describes, and he draws it, right? Yeah. So they make their way to Dalton's room, and Elise looks up, and all of a sudden she starts muttering like dark hair, long fingers, and all this stuff, and we see that Specs's final product is a drawing of this demon. It's the same one we saw earlier uh, that Lorraine saw this black demon with this red face kind of looks like uh, Darth Maul. Yeah, kind of does for sure. So uh, then we get one of the most interesting scenes in the movie, in my opinion, uh, the uh, Elise and them, they all make their way to the living room and Elise explains to Josh and Renee, what exactly is going on? She says, Dalton is not in a coma. You see, while his physical body is still here, his spiritual self is gone. Where is it gone to? The further. Ooh, and I've got a bloody bit here, Trent. Sorry. Let's go ahead and hear it. Okay, so you know how I I am a big fan of, like, working titles and alternate titles and stuff. So the original title for this movie was going to be called, I think you can guess it, The Further. further. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So she goes on to say, the house isn't haunted. Dalton is. Bump, bump, bump. Bump, 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 indeed. <laughs> and she explains that Dalton is using astral projection, except he got lost. And when she says astral projection, we get a shot of Josh. And Josh looks very suspicious at the, mm-hmm. at the phrase astral projection. But... She goes on to describe in great detail what insidious creature is lurking out there. And in fact, let's hear that, shall we? The further is a world far beyond our own, yet it's all around us. A place without time as we know it is a dark realm filled with the tortured souls of the dead. A place not meant for the living. That's where Dalton is. And the problem is that with his astral body gone, he's just left us with a physical body, an empty vessel. And there are entities that know this because they can smell it. That's why they're gathered around him. At least the things that I've been seeing, 
They are all trying to get inside of his physical body simply because they, they crave life, the chance to live again. But there are other entities who are malevolent and have a more insidious agenda. And then there is this. A demon who seeks Dalton's body for one reason, to cause pain to others. So uh, that was uh, that was a scene from the movie there, as Elise uh, explains the further. And basically, you know, she says the longer Dalton's physical and spiritual self are separated, the harder it's going to be to bring him back. And at this point, Josh has had enough and he kicks everybody out the house. Yeah, he dismisses this again. Um, Brene is crying, pleading for him to believe her. He's like, I have tried to believe you. Uh, look at all the things that we're doing here. We've got these people in here. Um, but He says, I moved houses for you. I'm on your side. Yeah. But he's, he, I mean, honestly, ask yourself, would you be believing all of this stuff? I mean, these people come into your house. They seem like maybe they're trying to scam you. And, that, and that's what he says. He's like, you guys are just trying to take advantage of people with a sick kid and here's $600 and be on your way. Yeah. And you guys are, you know, I was fine with all this until you brought my fam- my son into this. Um, yeah. Like you just said, thinking like they're taking advantage of their situation. So he's just like, get out of here. I don't believe any of this uh, much to the dismay of Renee. Um, but that's his opinion. That's how he, he's, he's put his foot down at this point. Yep. So from there, we see a scene in Dalton's bedroom where Josh is sitting at his bedside and says, you know, just give me a sign that that you're here. And at that exact moment, one of Josh's drawings that he has pinned up on his wall falls down. So uh, Josh goes to examine the drawing. And wouldn't you know, it's a drawing of the red faced demon. So then Josh starts looking around at the drawings closer. And there's more photos of the demon. And there's also a photo of a red door. And there's a horse. So at this point, Josh is like, oh, maybe this is real. So yeah, he he also (laughs) sees one that's like um, that Dalton um, wrote a little attribution on. It's like last night I saw myself sleeping and then I flew away. So it's all coming together full circle for Josh. Um, he's starting to believe this is real, man. So Josh, uh, agrees with Renee and they bring back, uh, the whole crew specs, Tucker and Elise. And it's seance time. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I wrote. They're setting up a seance, man. So Elise is wearing a gas mask that Laramie <laughs> Tunsil would be proud of. <laughs> Our sports fans will appreciate that. Right. <laughs> For sure. Um, so Elise is trying to make contact with Dalton and she's trying to find him. And Dalton says, you know, he's afraid that they might find him first. And then all of a sudden in the real world, Dalton is out of bed and he Dude. slams his hand on the table. And at this point, literally all hell breaks loose. <laughs> there's crashing lights. There's demons. There's a, uh, Everything's going on. People are getting thrown across the room. Like it's literally all hell breaking loose. Yeah, for sure. We get like an exorcist moment where Dalton like backhand slaps specs across yeah. the room. <laughs> he goes flying. So then Elise grabs Dalton 
and starts saying, I command you to leave this body now. I command you to leave this vessel now. And eventually, everything settles down. Ooh, intense. Super intense scene. Yeah, you, you described it perfectly. All hell breaks loose. It is just super chaotic, man. And then we get one of the big reveals of the movie. Because Lorraine and Elise reveal that Dalton, his skills as an astral projector, well, you see, those were handed down from his father, Josh. It's, it's hereditary. <laughs> yes. Another movie in the, uh, in the archive that maybe you guys will hear one day. That's a, that's a, it's a possible tease for a future bonus episode. We'll, we'll see. But anyway, uh, because you see, when Josh was a child, he used to astral project as well. And uh, like the red-faced demon is following Dalton, he had an old woman. In fact, the old woman from the first scene of the movie. She was following him around. And every time that Lorraine would take a picture of Josh, the woman would be closer and closer and closer. So finally, Elise and Lorraine managed to have a uh, Josh completely block out these memories, completely forget about her, uh, act like it didn't happen, and it all just blacks out of Josh's mind, and he has no memory of it. Yeah, they show him, like, photographic evidence of him as a child. Like you said, they take photos of him, and that woman, that scary, veiled, creepy lady keeps getting closer and closer and closer until Lorraine calls Elise, like you said, somehow suppress all his memories, and then he's good to go. Um, he lived a normal life up until this point. Yes. So from there, they convince him that the only hope of saving Dalton is for him to return back into the further, a place he has not gone since he was a child. So Josh agrees. And quite frankly, it's very <laughs> difficult to describe what happens over the course of the next 10 minutes. Uh, Super, you yeah. you, you kind of have to see it for yourself. It is extremely creepy everywhere josh goes there's like these demon folks there's creepy ass music like just all kinds of weird stuff going on it, it, kind of difficult to explain though yeah super difficult to explain um yeah he finds himself into the further um first he jolts up out of his like sitting position is like this isn't working i know what to do he turns around and he can see himself and the other people in the room. What? <laughs> like, oh, weird. Okay. I guess it did work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like 50s music and 50s people and creepy stuff going yes. on. Um, so, like you said, super hard to explain. So, where are we going to jump ahead to? So, eventually, in the further, which I would say for those of you who have seen Stranger Things, consider the upside down. It's like the further, it's the real world. But it's like a different dimension of the real world. So yeah, eventually, great, great description. Yeah, Josh makes his way to the first house in the further. If you're following me, and he makes his way upstairs, and he eventually discovers the red door from one of Dalton's drawings. But as he's approaching the red door, the demon that attacked Lorraine and the or that attacked uh, Renee in the bedroom earlier meets him at the door. They get into a fight. And he can hear Elise's voice from the real world telling him, you're the real one. You're stronger. So he shoves the demon away and he makes his way into the red door. 
Yeah, what the hell, Trent? Um, like you said, Elise, it's like, oh, you're the one that's alive. You're much more powerful than them. Probably could have been some good information to know a little yeah, bit we, earlier. <laughs> we, you couldn't have told me this before I went in. I had to deal with all the creepos for the last 10 minutes. Yeah, and he's like fighting for his life and like getting manhandled. And then she's he gives like, you're de- actually strong. He gives his demon one two-hand shove and the guy goes flying. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, okay, Elise, let's, let's get some information up front before I go into this further world where everything's freaking creepy. Yes. So he goes in the red door, then he spots the horse from one of Dalton's drawings, and he eventually he comes upon his son, and Dalton obviously happy to see his father, but he's chained up, and we see um, the demon has like a lair where he's keeping Dalton, and the demon is at work upstairs looking like Freddy Krueger sharpening some 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 knife claws or whatever. <laughs> as Josh is playing that music again, dude. Yes, yes. The music <laughs> never stops. So uh, Josh eventually frees Dalton. They get into a fight with the demon. And uh, as things are getting more intense, Elise in the real world tells Renee... My voice isn't strong enough to carry him anymore. Like, you have to take over. He'll listen to you. So then Renee is calling for him in the real world. And as this is happening, now the demons and spirits are showing up in the real world. Not in the further, but in the real world at this point. And, like, it's very intense. And so intense. At least it's like they're crouching over into the real world. I'm like, if that was a possibility, why didn't you prepare better? <laughs> and so... Dalton and Josh uh, split up in the further. Dalton winds up coming face to face with the demon in his bedroom, while Josh comes face to face with the old lady uh, in like at a mirror. Yeah, um, ugh, just some some crazy stuff going on, like you said. Um, chaos in the house, chaos in the further. It's just all happening, man. But eventually. Dalton and Josh are both able to make their way back to their bodies and they both wake up in the real world and all the chaos is gone and it's a happy ending. Yeah. Bet you didn't see ending. that coming, right? Everybody's happy. For now. For now. Um, okay, so I I don't I hate po- poking holes in horror films, but like Dalton would be like extremely, uh, what's the word for having like no muscles anymore from being like laying down in a coma for three months? Oh, yeah. Uh, atrophied? Yeah, atrophied. <laughs> like, yeah, he'd be like atrophied. Uh, we didn't see him walk around, but he's like feeding no. himself. No, he's like having... going to town on the thing of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. Um, everybody's happy. They're celebrating. They did it. They got him back. Well, um, not everyone's happy, Graham. Because <laughs> back in the living room, Elise is looking at Josh and something doesn't seem right. So she casually pulls out her camera. She takes a picture. And before we can see what's going on, Josh gets very angry and he grabs her. Why would you do that? You know how much I hate that. And he forces her into a chair and he's strangling her and strangling her. And back in the kitchen, we see, Renee kind of hears something, but she doesn't really go to check it. And then we cut back and ring that bell. Like 88 minutes into the, to the 90 minute movie, we finally got one. That's body count number one. Elise is strangled to death by Josh. Yes, body count one. Elise, you thought it was over, didn't you? So uh, eventually, Renee 
goes, checks on it. She discovers Elise's body. She's freaking out. She sees the camera lying on the floor. She picks up the camera. And instead of seeing a picture of Josh, it's a picture of the old lady. Uh. And then from behind her, we hear Josh's voice say, Renee, I'm right here. Places her hand on his shoulder and credits roll. Boom. Whoa. Cliffhanger ending credits. <laughs> yeah. How about that? I mean, I feel like I have to just breathe even after. So I watched this movie twice. It was equally scary at both times. Um, okay. Yeah, it was a very, very, very intense film. Okay, so first of all, I mentioned earlier, I I love this movie, man. It was so scary to me. Um, you know, like horror is subjective, just like, just like any film, uh, just like any painting you see, whatever. But this one just really hits all the notes for me, Trent. Like it is like it it's it's lined up for me to enjoy. So there's jump scares, which I love to hate. Um, there's a look into possible other dimensions. I'm I like sci-fi. You have some red herrings that are like kind of leading you on different paths, which I like. Um, and also things described, quote unquote, with a little bit of science. You know what I mean? Yes. Like just enough to keep yes. you like <laughs> just a little bit uh, um, astro projection and all this stuff. So. Anyway, I'm okay with believing all this stuff. Um, surprise ending all of it. Um, boom. I thought this one was really, really, really cool. Yeah, so a few episodes ago, we had our highest body count ever with the Pelco experiment. I think it was, what, 84, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, well, this one, we have our lowest body count ever with one. With just one. Um, and, and it again, came in the last act. Like the last act. Yeah, the, the very end of the last act. There's literally yeah. like two minutes left in the movie when Elise finally gets killed. So uh, just kind of an interesting note, like how varied horror can be where, you know, I think when you and I think of horror, we, we tend to think of slashers and, you know, mm-hmm. dead teenager movies. But this goes to show that there's a whole wide world of, of different genres of horror and you know, that, that really kind of goes to, uh, you know, the uh, the catchphrase or whatever that I use at, at the opening of the show where, uh, you know, I say this is the home for all things creepy, crawly, ghouly, gory, or anything else that goes bump in the night. Well, this whole movie goes bump in the night. Yes, this whole movie goes bump in the night, man. Um, like you said, dude, I mean, you nailed it. Um, the genre can be so different. Uh, we have Belco experiment that, that just really relies on, on that uh, death sequences. Uh, yeah. We we did both Halloweens where the body count essentially doubles in the second one, um, if not triples. And in this one, um, I'm probably the most scared out of all of them. And we just have one at the very end. Yes. So, um, yeah, very cool. Um, I want to talk about the score real quick. Yes, so, absolutely. Because that was, honestly, cool. that to me was the worst part. And, and when I say worst, I mean the, 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 what made this movie so intense was that damn score. Yes, the score is super creepy, super brilliant. Um, you get off-key pianos, scratching violins, um, just that sudden, like, Dissonance. you know, yeah, really, really loud um, all of a sudden, and then it quiets down, um, which was which was done on purpose. So I have a bloody bit, actually, about um, the score and the composer. So, Grant, Joseph Bishara, a.k.a. the Lipstick Demon, which they call him in the credits, which is the the red-faced guy, the kind of main 
um, antagonist of the film. He's also the composer of the music and score for Insidious and is actually a well-known um, and well-renowned horror film composer. He's done other movies like Annabelle. He did The Conjuring, a movie called The Prodigy. He has a ton of credits on IMDb. So uh, great job, Joseph Pachara for A, composing this really creepy score and B, being the scary lipstick demon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is a multi-talented guy right there. Yeah, so um, so tell me your thoughts, Grant. I've, I've gone on and on about how much I liked it. Tell me your thoughts on what you thought about the movie. Well, so instead of just flatly giving my, my thoughts on, on the film itself, I think it's kind of more important to talk about the bigger picture because this movie would arguably be the most, I want to say the most important horror, horror film of the 2010s because that might be setting the bar a little high, but at least the most influential because in, you know, like anything else, horror movies kind of go in waves, you know, mm -hmm. in the, in the 70s and 80s, of course, the slashers were big. In the 90s, they kind of died out until Scream revitalized them. Yeah, and it kind of got meta and teenage-y again and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Then in the 2000s, things kind of took a turn towards uh, torture porn with Hostel and Saw. Uh, right. And those being the big movies. Well, this movie, right at the onset of the 2010s, kind of changed that and made haunted, haunted house movies like The Thing. Like, there would be a whole decade's worth, uh, including... Another great haunted house movie by James Wan, starring Patrick Wilson, The Conjuring, which yeah. is possibly my favorite horror movie of the decade. Wow. Um, so yeah, you got Paranormal Activity, yeah. um, that came out around that time. Um, absolutely. So, well, like I said, it, it might not be the most important horror film of the 2010s, it's certainly in the conversation for most influential. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, and we're going to talk about James Wan and, and Lee Whannell. Um, box office, Trent. I always like to hit the box office. Yeah. How, how about these numbers, folks? Yeah. So they made this film on a $1.5 million budget. Which is absolutely nothing for Hollywood. Zero. Like the equipment alone. <laughs> Especially like Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne. Those are not no-name actors. Like those two are not taking their normal pay rates to make this movie. They made this movie because they wanted to make this movie. Yeah, so, yeah, they're not paying um, the cast. Is, I mean, 1.5, I mean, shoot, um, actors don't even don't even read an email uh, with, a, with an offering like that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it went on to gross almost $100 million at the box office against $1.5 million budget. Um, insane. Doesn't include marketing budget, but yeah. insane. Insanely profitable. Yeah, and, and another fun fact, Trent, a bloody bit, if you will, this movie was filmed in just three weeks on that $1.5 million budget, which well, makes sense because... Yeah. If you only got a million and a half bucks, you're not going to be having a six-week shoot in Bangkok. Yeah, no kidding. And yeah, I mean, if you, I'm sure you guys know what goes into the budget, but it, it, I mean, it's you're talking about production sets, you're talking about equipment, you're talking about special effects, you're talking about catering, yeah. um, all these things. <laughs> Salaries for the actors and the crew and the direct, like... This is all part of the uh, all part of the budget. So, like, like you, you really like if you think about the numbers here, like people aren't getting rich off of this movie. So they did this because they really wanted to do it. Yeah, somebody got rich off of it. Um, yeah, but the yeah, studio. <laughs> the studio. So first of all, um, pretty incredible that they filmed it in just three weeks. Patrick Wilson stated in an interview uh, that they had a lot of late nights. Obviously, they didn't have a lot of time to rehearse. Uh, 
but yeah, with that film making almost a hundred million dollars, that's like $33 million a week of shooting, like mm. what they made, like they did really, really well. And kind of goes to the brilliance of James Wan and the whole crew of like being able to get this whole story out there shot and done so well. I mean, in three weeks. Um, yeah. So my hat's off to them. Yeah. That's like a 66 times return on investment. That's uh, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, and we'll talk about it, but it spawned um, a number of sequels, opened sequels, up doors yeah. for well, James Wan. Yeah. I, well, I should say one sequel and two prequels. Right, and then there's a fifth one coming out. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's let's jump into the man. Let's jump into James Wan um, because he essentially, he was already riding high because guess what he did before? Insidious. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. He was the man behind the camera and saw he directed the original saw film. And, uh, that was another massively profitable film. Yeah. Saw came out in 2004. I was still in high school at the time. I remember going to see this in theaters. It was a big deal back then. Um, and written by the writer of this film. Lee one out. Yep. It was a very, very, uh, profitable successful uh collaboration yeah and saws i mean a new one just came out or is just coming out this next month right uh it's a reboot uh done by uh chris rock of all people if you can believe that. yeah right so um that'll be interesting to pick out but yeah that one i mean james wan kind of has the midas touch right so he he uh directed the first saw they've made like i don't know how many by now seven or eight um, uh, there were, well, there were seven saws, then there was jigsaw and now there's spiral. I, th- I think that's the name of the new one spiral. Yeah. 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 That, that, that seems right. Um, so super successful. Um, and I'm excited when we do get to review the conjuring is that being one of your favorites of the decade, because, um, I like this movie so much. I want to see more from him and Patrick Wilson was good too. Just a quick note on that spiral comes out May 14th. All right, so looking forward to that. Um, Who knows? Maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll be reviewing Saw next month. Yeah, that'd be fun. So yeah, like you said, James Wan, he was just kind of getting. Um, so he did Saw, which is super successful. He did a couple. He did Dead Silence, a movie that I haven't seen, another horror film, um, Insidious. Then he does The Conjuring. Then he jumps it up to do Furious Seven, which is a Big budget film compared to this one point yes. five million dollar budget, man. Yes, he used the strength of Saw and Insidious to take a leap into the blockbuster realm with Furious Seven, which, of course, well, I say of course, uh, to many of you will be aware that is one of the most difficult to produce blockbusters in Hollywood history because one of the main actors died in the middle of production, and there was essentially no way of removing Paul Walker's character without making an entirely different film. And they were far too along in production for that to be the case. So uh, at the helm of James Wan, they had to digitally finish off Paul Walker's performance in Furious 7. And um, that movie ends with an emotional goodbye to to Paul Walker's character. But that's the story for another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, just further on that, I mean, Furious 7, $190 million budget, ended up grossing $1.5 billion. Um, super with a so, B. Yeah, with a B billion, $1.5 billion. Um, 
So yeah, James Wan is just knocking it out of the park. Uh, he also went on to direct Aquaman, the uh, debut of that character for the big screen. And he's so, also directing the sequel set to come out next year. Yeah, so um, he's come a long way since that very small budget saw and, and this movie as well. Yeah, basically the mastermind behind three of the most influential horror franchises of the last 20 years. Plus he got his hands on Furious 7. Plus the hands, uh, 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 plus he got his hands on Aquaman. What an, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, the to direct in five different mega franchises is, I mean, yeah. it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. Super accomplished there. Um, so yeah, James Wan, you're totally killing it. Um, don't need me to tell you that, but uh, fantastic job, buddy. Job, buddy. So Lee Wanell, written by. Yeah. He would also write all, uh, each of the first three Saw films, and he would go on to write Insidious 2, 3, and then uh, a movie that I enjoyed last year. He, he wrote The Invisible Man. I don't know if you saw that one. That was a good movie. I did, yeah. Steph and I, that was one of, was that one of the last movies that we saw in theater before COVID hit? Um, I think it might have been the last one I saw before. Yeah, I think that was the last one we saw. Really good movie. He he also directed an Invisible Man. He, he made his directorial debut with Insidious 3. So he's moving on up. Um, he's got, they're in pre-production of a couple movies that he's doing. Uh, one, Wolfman, which is going to bring that monster, uh, monster-verse character, uh, Universal monster, monster, am I saying that right? Universal yes. Monsterverse? Okay. And then uh, reboot of Escape from New York, which was a John Carpenter movie back in the day, one of my favorite John Carpenter films as well. So uh, he's moving up in the director's uh, bracket as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, on the success of this, and like you said, Saw, and, and some other really good ones. So um, these, guys, these guys know what they're doing. I have a, another bloody bit. This is my last bloody bit. I'm getting all of them out of the way quickly. <laughs> okay. But um, wouldn't you know, James Wan and Lee Whannell actually attended film school together. Well, there you go. That explains their collaborations. <laughs> yeah, they wrote a script that would go on to become Saw, made a short little showcase film out of it um, to try to get a feature made. Um, it ended up getting made, and the rest is history. So Now, normally, we don't really talk you know, we talk about director and writer, and that's normally all we talk about with the behind-the-scenes production. But there's two other names involved behind the scenes that are very important that are worth mentioning. One, Oren Pelly is given a producer's credit here. He uh, directed the first Paranormal Activity film, which I believe on a profit-to-budget ratio is the most profitable film in history. Wow was made for $10,000 and he wrote over $100 million domestically. And from there, he would go on to produce the rest of the paranormal films in addition to the entire Insidious franchise. So very important uh, man in the horror world himself. But another producer who was lower on the totem pole at this point, but is now arguably the most important man in Hollywood, when it comes to making horror films, Jason Blum of Blumhouse. Yeah, Jason Blum of Blumhouse, dude. Um, dude, yeah, like you said, they've he's basically taking over as like the he is the horror movie producer of the time right now. Um, yeah, super important. I mean, 
think about getting all four of these guys in on one film to produce and write and direct and, and uh, one of them acting. Um, so yeah, they, they have something here for sure. Here's a list of some of the movies that Jason Blum has produced. Shall we? Uh, obviously insidious, but how about all five paranormal activity or excuse me, all six paranormal activity films, the purge uh, whiplash, which uh, not a horror movie, but JK Simmons did win an Oscar for that film. Uh, Ouija, which is a fun horror movie. Uh, he also produced movies like Happy Death Day, which was a big hit. Uh, and then probably the movie that really cemented his status is he is the man who made the Halloween reboot happen. Uh, John Carpenter would only make that movie if Jason Blum was, was involved and he's the one who put it all together. So again, like you really can't oversell how important uh, Jason Blum is right now uh, when it comes to making horror movies. Yeah, dude, he's got a ton of produ- producing credits, a um, ton of them in pre-production, uh, most of them in the horror horror genre. Um, yeah, dude, the guy's killing it. Blumhouse Productions is huge. Uh, so from there, let's talk about the cast. We have our two leads, Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne. What did you think? I thought they were great. Um I like Rose Byrne. Um, I knew her mostly from Bridesmaids, honestly. Um, but yeah, she she played a good Renee Lambert. She, uh, you know, she plays the character well. Patrick Wilson also played it well. I mean, honestly, the movie was was really well acted. But it's it's so much more about just the setting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the the other things going on. But I thought they were very good. Um, yeah, for me, I, I thought they both did great. Uh, I personally know Roseburn best from Neighbors, the uh, Seth Rogen <laughs> vehicle. Um, right. And then we talked about Aquaman. Well, Patrick Wilson would work on Aquaman because he played Orm, who was basically the villain of Aquaman. So uh, <laughs> the James Wan connection runs deep here. As like I said earlier, they did The Conjuring. Well, they also did Aquaman. Yeah, they were they were both good. Um, I thought the the person that really uh, stuck out to me was uh, Lynn Shay as Elise Rainer. Oh yeah. She was, she was fantastic. Yeah. She was really good. Um, kids, you know, they did fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, Foster had like basically one scene where he talked and then Dalton spent 90% of the movie in a coma. So <laughs> yeah. Um, and you got to talk about Specs and Tucker, man. what do you think about Specs and Tucker played I by mean, Lee Wanell and Angus Hanson? They were basically there as the the comic relief, um, and they did a good job at that. So uh, you, you, you can't hate on that. Yeah, I like their little subtle back and forth of being like, my part's more important. Um, no, my part's more important. It was just, yeah, it definitely brought a little bit of a, a little bit of calm and comedy to uh, an otherwise very serious movie. All right, so I think now would be a great time to hear from Stephanie, shall we? Yes. So uh, let me introduce my wife, Stephanie. Um, I mentioned her before. She is not what you would call a horror fanatic. Um, I have to like, it's, I was going to say, it's like pulling teeth to make her watch it. She works in dental. So that's kind of a, <laughs> kind of a layered pun there. Um, but yeah, Trent, here's uh, Stephanie. Check on Dalton. Why? Go check on Dalton. 
All right, and so now, for the first time in history, we are joined by a special guest here on Body Count. And really, there's only one person who that could have been. It's Stephanie Ashley, the one, the, Graham's better half, you know, the one who keeps him in check. Hello. So, Stephanie, you know, we, we just heard a little little crip, uh, clip of you uh, screaming. Uh, you did not like the creepy girls in, in this movie. Um, no. So you're not a big horror movie fan, huh? Not in the slightest bit, but uh, <laughs> I guess you you do things that you don't like to do for the ones you love. So when Graham told you, hey, honey, I'm starting a horror movie podcast, so I'm going to be watching a lot of horror movies around here, what was your reaction? I mean, he's usually pretty good and does it when I'm away or when I'm doing something. Okay. So I was okay. like, it's me at all. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> yeah, here you find yourself. <laughs> so now, yeah. this movie, Insidious, uh, Graham and I talked about. We both thought it was very intense, very spooky. Uh, and those are that's come from two people who liked horror movies. So for someone who's not particularly a fan, how did you, how did you handle this one? There was a lot of um, closing my eyes and. <laughs> putting my fingers on my ears so I couldn't hear anything. There was a lot of, um, you know, don't go in there. Don't do that. Um, you know, all kind of stuff. Um, I was screaming. You know, like yeah, we, got, we got the screaming. <laughs> we have proof of that. <laughs> yeah, um, I realized halfway through that he was recording me. Uh, such a great guy, isn't he? Yeah. So what was the, uh, what was the worst part? You know, I think what freaked me out the most is when the paranormal guys were going through that house and they were taking pictures and things like that. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, there's two yeah, girls in the car. Two little girls. Um, <laughs> that, I think I may have peed myself a little bit. <laughs> Just a know. little though. Just a Just little. A little. <laughs> now, yeah. you know, the, the good news is there's three more movies in this franchise. So you're you're set to watch all those, right? Oh my gosh. He started <laughs> trying to do that right afterwards. I was like, uh no. Yeah, Graham said you guys are gonna binge them tonight. <laughs> yeah, that uh that's not happening, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh if you had to pick an all-time favorite horror movie, what would it be? Scream. Scream. It's a very yeah. good selection. Uh, 90s. 90s is a good time. I grew up as a kid of the 90s, so I can relate. We watched one where they're like in the cabin, too. What was cabin, cabin in the Woods. That, yeah. one was, that one actually, you know, is that the one with Chris work? It is. Yeah, that made it, that made it better. Yeah, directed by yeah. Uh, Joss Whedon. <laughs> we talked about Joss Whedon a couple of episodes back. Uh, uh, the creator of Angel, which we did a show on the oh, pilot yes. episode a, a couple of episodes back. Yeah, I remember that now. Also, famously, the director of The Avengers. So, oh, yeah, the, he had uh, The Avengers and Cabin in the Woods come out in the same summer, which are two very different films. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 2011 <laughs> was an interesting year for Joss Whedon. So. Uh, 
Well, Stephanie, do you have any other thoughts on Insidious? Um, Just be careful watching it. It it really, (laughs) you start watching it and you're like, oh, well, sometimes I have bad dreams too. And I feel like I could get stuck on the other side and, you know, it comes through. I don't know. Graham, do you have anything you want to jump in here with real quick? No, just uh, thanks for coming on, Steph. Uh, We try not to torture you with too many of these, but... There's more coming, folks. Oh, there's more coming. More reactions from Stephanie in the future. Thank you for that. I'm thinking we have like a full sound effect, like Stephanie screams. Like it's a whole segment. (laughs) You know, I'm your girl for that. I can can definitely do that. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm sure our our listeners will get a kick out of this. And uh, a lot of them are going to relate to you uh, with with, uh, this one's pretty, pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made him watch it with the lights. Well, it was still <laughs> light outside, like middle of the day, all the windows open, all that. So, no, no nighttime movies. All right. Well, uh, uh, good deal. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up uh, again sometime. I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. So there's a clip of Stephanie. Uh, let's just say the, the freaky little girls scared the bejesus out of her, didn't they? <laughs> yes well uh graham do you have uh any other bloody bits before we uh wrap this one up no that's all my bloody bits um yeah if you haven't seen this movie watch it um if you have seen it watch it again um super <laughs> fun movie um, oh almost forgot real quick tomato meter take a guess oh yes um I feel like people, obviously it did really well at the box office. I feel like the critics would think this one was pretty original. Like you said, it started off the the decade as you, as you pointed out, and you're always so good at, at, at kind of lining up, um, you know, how things kind of, kind of layer themselves into um, our horror universe. So for a horror film, would 60 be pretty good? I'm going to go with like 60. 66, pretty good guess there. Okay. So they, um, that means that a majority of them liked it. And one of the uh, critics who gave this movie a passing grade would happen to be our favorite critic, Roger Ebert, gave the film two and a half out of four stars and had this to say about the movie. Insidious is an affectionate visit to the haunted house movie, a genre that seems classic in contrast to queasy cam gore fest, AKA saw. It depends on characters, atmospheres, sneaky happenings and mounting dread. This one is not terrifically good, but moviegoers will still get what they're expecting. Okay, so he was he he liked it. He was a little critical of it, but um, yeah, I mean, liked liked it, didn't love it. Yeah, liked it, didn't love it. So, you know, you never know with Roger Ebert. It's it blows my mind some of the movies he he like decides to love, and then other movies that he decides to pan. So, uh, but he's still our favorite. <laughs> Absolutely. So from there, I think that wraps up the conversation on this one, Graham. Yes. So. Let's turn our attention to our next episode because you see this episode drops on April 9th. So the next episode, two weeks from now, will drop on April 23rd. And you see that just happens to be two days before the Academy Awards or the Oscars, which are on Sunday, April 25th. So I thought it would be interesting if we possibly took a look at some horror movies that got nominated for Academy Awards. 
I like it. Um, and again, this is this is Trent's subtle way of saying this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm gonna, going I'm, to <laughs> I'm gonna give you. Well, I'm gonna give you six, but actually seven options, and I will explain what I mean by that. All right. Okay. So, can I guess first of all what horror films have been nominated for Oscars, real quick? Well, I don't have a complete list. Okay, but if if I hit these on your list, so Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Um, the Exorcist. Yes. Uh, that that's where I'll end. I don't want to keep guessing and, and bore everybody. So. All right. So here we go. Six horror movies in history have been nominated for Best Picture. So those will be your options for our next show, Graham. So uh, we already mentioned The Exorcist. That's your first option. Okay. Your second option would be Silence of the Lambs, which in fact won Best Picture and has been nominated on the poll by us a couple of times before, but has not won just yet. Yeah, I think that one swept everything um, at the Oscars that year. Uh, your third choice, Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg. Ooh, that'd be fun. Next up, we jump ahead to the 1990s and The Sixth Sense, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Ooh. From there, we jump forward to the 2010s with Black Swan, starring Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman. Okay. And then the most recent horror film to have been nominated for Best Picture, Get Out, the directorial debut of Jordan Peele. Now, so th- so once again, let's let's run back through those six options, okay? We've got The Exorcist, Jaws, The Silence of the Lambs, The Sixth Sense, Black Swan, and Get Out. Before you answer, Graham, I'm going to throw one more movie at you. So you're going to actually have seven options here. Okay. And this one, it's arguable whether or not it's a horror film. It's technically classified as a thriller. I could make the argument either way. And that would be Parasite, winner of Best Picture in 2019. I loved Parasite. I love a lot. I love basically all of these films except for Black Swan. (laughs) So that one is immediately tossed off my list. Um, well, okay. so do you consider Parasite a horror movie, or is it just a straight thriller? I consider that a horror film. Um, no, no, I remember what I remember watching it um, last year when it when it came out, and first of all, absolutely loving it. Um, but yeah, I would can definitely consider that in the horror genre. Um, so yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think I would. Yeah, it's a horror film. All right. So for throwing out Black Swan, that still leaves you six other choices, Graham. This is a very difficult decision. The Exorcist. Okay, so the Exorcist would be fun because that one's like super old school and just, just it is the oldest of the bunch. At the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, Jaws, which is Steven Spielberg's genius, uh, coming coming out there. Um, fun fact: they had the Jaws premiere in Dallas back in the day, and Steven Spielberg was standing at the back of the theater and he was kind of watching the crowd view the film and. Um, one guy gets up and he's like, okay, we've got our first walk out here. The guy starts walking to the aisle. Then he starts jogging. Then he starts running and he throws up in the middle of the aisle. And <laughs> that's when Steven Spielberg knew that Jaws is going to be We got him. We <laughs> yeah. got him. So I have a lot of affinity toward that film. 
Um, Sixth Sense, loved that movie as a kid, seen that movie multiple times. Get Out was amazing as well. And I'm missing one other one. Or is that all six? Uh, and Parasite. Parasite, The Silence of the Lambs, Jaws, Exorcist, Get Out. Get out. Okay, I'm trying to think of something that we haven't done um, like this before. So let's go with let's go with Get Out. Let's do Jordan Peele's directorial debut. All right, Get Out. works for me. So there you go, folks. On April 23rd, look for Get Out wherever you get your podcast. And uh, if you want to interact with us between now and then, how about you hit up the show on Instagram at Body Count Show, Graham? Yes, hit us up on Body Count at Body Count Show. Um, we're close to 500 followers, so thank you guys for following along. We'd love more interaction, um, you know, more um, conversation. So feel free to drop us a line there. Uh, we've got some messages um, throughout the the duration of this podcast. But yes, thank you guys for your support on Instagram at Body Count Show. Uh, make sure to follow, and of course, um, we thank you for listening. And with that, I, uh, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs>